Hey there. Thanks for joining us at Risen King Church for our weekly podcast. We pray you meet God and know that you are loved today. Be sure to visit us at risenking.life to take all of your next steps and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Enjoy the message. Now, I've been doing in this series, as uh, Ashley said, I, I found as I faced the, the challenges and the conflicts of last year, I found areas in which I did not demonstrate strength. And so I was asking the Lord, especially I think about being both the pastor I want to be, but especially to be the husband that I want to be to my wife as she goes through this um, uh, time of, of physical challenge. I said, Lord, how do I become strong in you? And I was praying that, and, and, I, and I fell asleep, and he began to give me a dream. And as he gave me this dream, he began to show me what he called elements of strength. So, so that strength isn't this, simply this one thing, but it's a rather complex thing that includes a combination of these specific elements. And he, he referred me to, and I began to study these different scriptures that, that describe strength through the elements of strength. And so last week, I took you to Romans chapter 5, where it, it talks very specifically about four elements. The basic element is faith. Without faith, there is no spiritual strength. But faith in Christ and in His finished work leads you into a right relationship with God that then the Scripture says makes it to where you have peace with God, which then gives you the possibility of the peace of God guarding your life. And he also says in that, that as we begin to live in that place of right relationship with God, we have a source of joy that is not circumstantial, but it's one that we begin to appropriate and that we are in union with the very joy of Jesus. And so with those three elements, it became really essential that you and I understand that the spiritual generator of strength is hope. Because everybody's faith is tested in the present. And without hope, which is, can be defined as future faith. It's a, a certainty about the future. Many of us have hope, but most of our hope is wishful thinking or desire or longing about things that are completely changeable and about things that we have no right or ability to control. And what the scripture says is that hope has to be in the source of hope, has to be based in certainty. It cannot be based in wishful thinking or our desire. It has to be based in unchangeable truth. This song that we sang, when we sing about another in the fire, gives us some of those declarations of unchangeable truth. One of my favorite is when we sing, I know I will never be alone. See, that's an unchangeable truth that even though it may feel like you're alone or you may be facing something that is isolating you, you are never alone. And you can always know and always have hope that as you go through a trial, you're going through it with the Lord Jesus Christ with you every step of the way. <laughs> but the second one I like, I probably like it even more than that one, is the statement in that song where it says, nothing stands between us. So even annoying people and irritating people or difficult circumstances cannot stand between you and your God. You are still intimate with Him. He is still for you. He is still uh, going to give you the provision that you need. You see, these are the things in which our hope can be based because they never change. But when your hope is in something that changes your hope will be diminished by the challenges or the changes. And so I, I want you to get in your head the illustration of hope being like the furnace and your thermostat. Uh, my wife hates the cold. So as soon as it gets about 68 degrees, the heater comes on in our house. You know, She's like, oh, it's so cold down here. And she wants to turn the thermostat up and she wants to heat up the living room, or, or we get a space heater and a blanket and a parka and all that and put it, you know, in her chair because she hates the cold so much. And so it's, it's, it's 
the, the thermostat tells the furnace we need heat. And the furnace heats up, gets the fire going. You see, the challenge of the cold activates the furnace. And then the heat comes on, but the thermostat also tells the heat how long to stay on. And what, what you see is, as the heat is hot and it stays on and endures, the cold is neutralized. So what hope is, is hope tells the fire, we need heat now. And the, the heat is your character. The heat is your connection to the Lord Jesus Christ, your connection to the Holy Spirit. There's a fire there. And then endurance is how long the fire needs to stay on to change the atmosphere. You know, what a lot of us do is that instead of turning the fire on, we just find other people to complain with. It's so cold today, isn't it? And they're like, oh yeah, it's really cold. Oh, it's so cold. It's miserable. And we're actually happy to share our misery with one another. But what we're doing is we're only, we're only thermometers reading the temperature but not changing the atmosphere. And so what hope does is hope calls on the fire of your character and then extends the heat in endurance until the atmosphere is changed. You are supposed to be change agents, not just people who, who say, boy, it's cold, or boy, it's difficult, or man, it's hard. And so the scripture that we're going to look at is from Romans chapter 12. And what we're going to look at here is that there is a distinction in the way the New Testament looks at your character in terms of your endurance and your patience. Okay, so endurance is how you deal with circumstances. How you deal with situations. Do you run away from them or do you take them on? Do you stay in or do you distract yourself? Do you face this or do you try to find a way to get around it, get away from it? That's endurance. Patience in the New Testament is always patience with people. Now there are a lot of us who can endure circumstances but aren't very patient with people. As a matter of fact, there are people who actually pride themselves on their impatience. So there's a certain aggressive personality that says, I'm strong because I'm impatient. But what you're going to see from this passage of Scripture is that's not strength, that's weakness. It's spiritual weakness and it's emotional unhealthiness. But it has often in aggressive people been portrayed as strength from their pride. But lest you be not an aggressive person, but a passive person, passivity is not patience either. Passivity is a, a numbing or a dulling of your emotions in such a way that you don't care or you can't feel. Therefore, you cannot know the joy of the Lord if you can't feel the pain of your circumstances or if you will not face the hurt that people have caused you. And so patience is neither the aggressive, I'm impatient, nor is it the passive, I don't care, or I won't care, or I won't hope, or I won't put myself in a position where I can be disappointed. But patience is active strength as you deal with difficult people. And so this scripture that we're going to, are you tracking with me so far? I really said that well, so I'm thinking you should, you know, Every now and then, you should just like, I need a pat, you know, a little love. All right, yeah, I like that. Some of you know that it's very meaningful to me, so. Uh, <laughs> look, what I'm a, <laughs> this whole sermon is such a hammer, I have to laugh every now and then. It really is. <laughs> so, the reason the Lord took me to this passage is because this is the, like one of the primary passages where it describes biblical strength. These are the elements of strength, and at the heart of this passage is patience with people. And so we're going to read this together, and as you read it, you're going to see all these elements of patience, of, of strength. This is a biblical description of strength. 
So I like it when the church reads God's word out loud together. So would you read this with me? Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So as we look at this, and especially as we look at the idea of patience as a manifestation of biblical strength, the King James Version used the idea of patience in the fruit of the Spirit. It is saying that you and I have a natural limitation of patience. But as we are intimate with the Holy Spirit, all the patience of Jesus is now united to us. And so what he is doing is developing in us the ability to yield or to cede our impatience or our control, really, to the Holy Spirit so that the patience of Jesus might manifest in us. And to understand patience, King James translates it a bit more literally. It says suffering long with people. In other words, uh, many of us, we want such an issue of control, particularly over people and difficult people in our lives, that we want to say when we've had enough. We want to say when, when we've given enough, when we've loved enough, when we've sacrificed enough, when we've invested enough, and then say, I have no more to give. I am done with you. I'm over. We're over. Whatever it might be. And when you do that, what you're saying is you've ended your patience. And you have kicked God off the throne. And you have said, when you have had enough, that's enough. Instead of recognizing that those people who are annoying you or irritating you are a curriculum of the Holy Spirit to reveal to you where your limitations are and where you need to develop in your intimacy with Christ so that His patience becomes your patience. And so what happens to many of us is that as difficulty comes, it is revealed we don't have the character or the fire to bear up under that suffering without giving up or giving in to bitterness. Patience is the opposite of that. Patience says that there is a fire in me that can bear this, can even bear this person in such a way that even this difficulty will not make me give up, nor will it make me give in to bitterness. And so this is, in its essence, it's learning and developing in your intimacy with Christ so that you have patience and you have grace with even difficult people. Now, the principle here, I want to kind of talk about the principle, the practice, and the power of patience. So the principle here is this. You can only overcome evil with good. You will never overcome evil with evil. And many of us have, have had this kind of programming in our lives or a bit of a default setting that says, if you hurt me, then I have the right to hurt you worse than you hurt me so that you will never hurt me again. Or to make it to where someone realizes you're not a person to be messed with. And patience is often lacking or completely absent as we deal with the evil that comes into our lives. Now, 
Patience is primarily expressed when you face opposition. You don't need patience if people are doing everything you want them to do. So when you are opposed or when things don't go the way you think they're supposed to go is when patience is activated. And so what I, what I began to understand is that most of us, if not all of us, I would say all of us, but, but I haven't talked to all of you. So I would say all of us face a spectrum of opposition. So the spectrum starts, and it's, it's often very unexpected in a way, but there can be people in your life who just don't like you. They don't like your personality. They don't like your position. They don't like the way you talk, or they don't understand you, and so they just don't like you. And there are often people who don't want to work with you. They don't want to cooperate. They don't want to collaborate. And so it can start with just this kind of a, a dislike or a misunderstanding, or it start in a place where you're just like, I don't understand why there isn't this kind of you know, intimacy between the two of us. And this person can, can have all kind of reasons why they, they don't like you. Well, it doesn't usually stay there. So the middle of the spectrum of opposition is then you have people who wrong you. People who have betrayed you, they've lied to you, they've cheated, they've, they've told lies about you or whatever it might be, but they've wronged you. They've disappointed you. They've hurt you. Now, you're dealing with a more specific kind of thing. It's not this general, they don't like your personality. Now they've actually done wrongs to you. But that becomes an even like more on the spectrum of opposition when the person begins to oppose you purposefully. Now people can wrong you unintentionally, but there are often people who decide they are against you and they will, they will work against you. Now, I've had this happen in ministry many times, but the first time it ever happened to me was such a shock. I had just finished seminary. We had raised all our money to go to the mission field. We were in the beautiful country of Costa Rica. We were learning Spanish, and uh, we were there with our team leaders. I was about 26. He was 32. We were going to be in Mexico City for 10 years planting churches. We went to Costa Rica to learn Spanish. In six weeks, we were working together, and one day we were, we were studying together, and he looked up from his book, and he said, Mike, I have grown to hate you. I was like, thank you? What do I do with that information? So basically, he started the spectrum. I don't like you. But, but for the next three years, we worked together, and every day, he was opposing me. Every day he was doing wrong. He lied about me. He cheated. He stole stuff from me. He hurt me left and right. And I had no idea, friends, how to overcome evil with good. So I began to try to overcome evil with more evil. I hated him worse than he hated me. I'm competitive. So I hated him worse than he hated me. I criticized him. I complained about him. I complained to Lisa. I complained to the other co-workers. I said he's a, terrible, he's a terrible boss. He's a terrible leader. All of these things. And so the two of us lived for three years on the missionary with nothing but bitterness towards each other. And on the surface, we all acted like we were great Christians, that we were great ministers, but underneath there was this bitterness that was taking place. And so... I began to realize this isn't working for me because what happened was it destroyed me, not him. Because you know what? He never even seemed to notice my bitterness, but my wife got my bitterness, and my children got my bitterness, and the Lord got my bitterness. Now, you have to understand that we live in a society that does not practice biblical strength and does not believe in patience. As a matter of fact, Sigmund Freud, who's probably one of the most famous analysts of all time, said, one must forgive their enemies once they are hanged. <laughs> are you tracking with me in this? I mean, think about how many sayings we have. I don't get mad, I get even. Revenge is a dish best cold ser served cold, right? But what does the scripture say? Do not repay anyone evil with evil, but rather overcome evil with good. It is so easy to think that if I hurt them, it's a good thing. 
But what happens is their evil now makes you evil. By hurting them back, you haven't overcome evil. You have been overcome by the evil. That's what the scripture is teaching here. So if I'm going to overcome evil with good, then I'm going to have to have a different approach when people wrong me. If somebody wrongs me, if I'm going to not respond in forgiveness, if I don't have a response that's either kind or gracious, then I've got to realize that what's going on inside of me, what's being revealed inside of me, is that evil has overcome me. Good is not coming out of me. Evil is coming out of me. Your heart, one writer says, is like a cup. Whatever's in the cup spills out when the cup is tumped over. You know, if you say, well, I have a good heart, but suddenly when your heart has been jostled and poison comes out, it's not been good in your heart. It's been poison in your heart. Whatever comes out of your heart is what was in your heart. So you think about how many of us have spent a lot of time thinking about how to keep people from hurting us. And one of the ways that many of us have done it and, and, and falsely put a counterfeit strength in our lives is that we're going to repay people. I'm going to, I'm going to make them hurt like they hurt me. Now, I would say most of us are not really, we're not great at retaliation ourselves. Maybe you are. Make yourself known so we can avoid you. But uh, uh, most of us are not so great at retaliation ourselves. But, but maybe there's a way that we, we, are, you know, we figured out if you hurt me, I'm going to hurt you in a way you'll never hurt me again. So maybe you get bigger than life. Maybe you get louder. Maybe you get more forceful. You get more demanding. You make sure that nobody ever crosses you. You ever been around a person that you can't speak even a word without them getting angry? You have to walk on eggshells around them because you know everything you say can set them off? That's not good, friends. That's evil. So you being a person who says, nobody's going to make a fool out of me, you've made a fool out of yourself. You've become evil in order to protect yourself from evil. You cannot overcome evil with evil. You can only overcome evil with good. But there are, there are others of us. We're much more sneaky than that. We, we're not sitting there thinking, oh, I'm going to retaliate. But we're thinking, I can't wait to see this person get their due. I can't wait till they have their comeuppance. Even parents sometimes say to their children, just wait till you have kids. <laughs> what a sick thing to say to your children. You're a curse, you're going to be a curse, and then they're going to be a curse. You're prophesying a curse over your own family. And some of you are feeling really guilty right now. Do you understand we have allowed ourselves to believe that evil will overcome evil? When the only thing that will overcome evil is good. This was, this was a hard lesson for me. I grew up in a family that argued all the time. So, so I, I, I have a default setting of arguing. And our arguments were horrible, awful. I loved, uh, in, in my family, when you lost the intellectual argument, you go to the attack the person argument. You're fat. You're stupid. And you say, well, I can lose weight, but you'll always be stupid. So you're just, just these angry kind of, kind of arguments. And, and so when I first understood the strength of forgiveness, it was so freeing for me to actually let go of, of, of the hurt, to let go of, of the wrongs that people had done to me. But I had this one particular situation that was very difficult for me. A fellow pastor, when I was in the Presbyterian church, who was a friend, I thought, in private, decided to attack, ridicule, and mock me in public and tried to destroy me before a council of other pastors when I was, they were asking about spiritual warfare and the Holy Spirit in my life. And so instead of being my friend, he actually ridiculed me, publicly mocked me, and tried to destroy me and my 
and my career as a pastor. Now, as I left that meeting, I can, I can tell you, I knew I needed to forgive him. So I, I said, Lord, I forgive this man for humiliating me. I forgive him for mocking me. Lord, I felt so small. Because what I had learned is when people attack, defending myself didn't really work. I had to let God defend me, and I often had to just keep silent. So I began to, I was lifting this up to the Lord, and I was, I was, I was forgiving him. But there was this one little place of bitterness. It was like, I hope he gets his. This little part that was like, can't you just take a holy hand grenade and blow him up, Lord, in Jesus' name, you know? I, my flesh is ugly, friends, okay? It's ugly. There's no prettiness to the flesh. And so two years later, someone called me and said, guess what happened to so-and-so? And all the stuff that he had been attacking me for, he lost his job, he lost his place, he lost all of these things. And, and of course, I'm talking to friends, oh, that's so terrible. But inside, I'm like, ha, 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 evil laugh, mad scientist laugh, you know, kind of thing came out. Because I had I reserved this little bit of bitterness. And it had stayed there for a couple of years. Think about this with me. He, I didn't see him for those two years, so he got none of that bitterness. But guess who did? I did. My wife did. My family. My church. My people I loved. They got my bitterness. And that bitterness took up space in my heart for those years that could have been filled with intimacy and love with God. And as soon as the chuckle came out, I heard the Spirit say, Love does not rejoice when others are wronged. And I was driving. I pulled over and started weeping. I started crying. Because the Lord said, I didn't just ask you to forgive him. I asked you to love him. And that, there, I can remember the highway. It's the highway in Atlanta. I remember pulling on the side of the road, repenting and giving that anger, giving that bitterness to the Lord. See, you can't just be a religious thing where you go through the motions of forgiveness Forgiveness isn't forgiveness if it doesn't get in touch with the pain. Are you hearing me? See, what I'm saying in all this is when you stay angry, when you keep the bitterness, you pollute, you destroy all your relationships. This kind of bitterness harms you and it harms the people you love. But on a biblical theological basis, it's even, in a way, it's, it's a deeper issue than the practical issue. What you're showing is you really don't understand the gospel. You're showing that you don't really understand grace. Think about how Jesus taught us to pray, both in, in Matthew and in Luke. He says, he says, forgive your debtors. Forgive those who trespass against you. But he, connect, he doesn't just say that, he connects it. He says, forgive your debtors in the same way that you realize your debts have been forgiven. Forgive your trespasses, their trespasses, in the same way that your trespasses have been forgiven. Your trespasses, your debts, were not forgiven because you deserved it. They weren't forgiven because some way you earned it and you're a better sinner than somebody else is. It's all grace. It's all a gift. It... it it, in some ways, when you are holding bitterness, you are saying, I'm a better person than this person who hurt me. And when you are demanding justice for them and you're not forgiving them and you want them you know, to be hurt like you're hurt, what you're saying is, I want them under the law. I want them to get what they deserve. But you don't want to stand before God and say, I want to be under the law. You want to stand before God and say, I'm under grace. Well, if you're going to be under grace, then you have to bring them under that same grace. <laughs> I've, I've had the privilege of teaching at Nyack for all the years I've been here. And I remember this one student, we were having this test, and I knew they were all going to fail it. It was Hebrew. So I knew none of them had studied enough or were ready for the test. So this one student, I said, will you pray for all the students? So he prays, oh God, give us exactly what we deserve. 
oh God, if we've studied, let it be that it shows on the test that we're worthy students. I said, stop, man. Nobody wants that prayer. <laughs> this group of people wants this prayer. Oh God, please show your grace and your mercy. Help us to know things we don't even know. Help us to figure out things we've never studied. I said, that's what this group needs. They don't need bring your righteous judgment on us right now in this test. Because they will all fail. But it's funny how when somebody else hurts us, we want law. But when we stand before God, we want grace. But unless you are extending grace, you're not really living in grace. Think about this with me. When somebody lies to you, your self-righteousness kicks in, and your pride kicks in, and you go, they're a liar! But when you lie, you go, it's complicated. <laughs> I have reasons. I have a good heart. Do you understand? It can't be law and grace. It either has to be grace and grace, or it has to be law and law. And if it's law and law, we're all lost. Amen. Are you hearing me in this? So what about the practice then? This is where it can't be passive. For those of you who have numbed yourself, for those of you who don't let yourself feel how hurt you are or how much pain you are, the scripture says you can't stay there in your passivity without giving access to your enemy. As a matter of fact, what I see as the main agenda of Satan is to render you passive so that you will do his will and not even know you're doing his will. So here's what the scripture says. It says, bless them. Bless those who hurt you. Bless them and do not curse them. Now, let's all be honest. This isn't easy. This isn't easy. When I'm driving, I don't want to bless them. When I'm on the Palisades or when they run the light, when it's my turn to go, I want holy righteous judgment to come down right then, especially when they have New Jersey tags. <laughs> you understand? I, I, I actually curse them in Spanish. It just feels better to me. I don't know why. You know, but, but some people trying to live up to kind of the religious requirement here will pray a blessing. And it'll be something like this. Oh God, bless them to know how bad they are and how wrong they've been to me and make them feel it just as much as I did. Well, that's not a blessing, friends. That's you still being angry. That's you still thinking, now God, you be my righteous right arm. Guess what? He'll never do that. This is actually getting to a place where you bless those who have hurt you. You wish they're, they're, they're good. You wish them well. You wish God to work in a way that is good. And so if you cannot do this, it is because you have not forgiven. It is because you have not released the bitterness that's in your heart. Because Paul says, forgive them, bless them, forgive them. So forgiveness has to be a heart thing. You see, if forgiveness does not touch where you're hurt, you will not really forgive them. A lot of us excuse people and delegitimize our own feelings, but that's not forgiveness. Forgiveness is always an act or a choice of the will. Forgiveness requires that you become the substitute just as Jesus became the substitute for you. You will bear the offense just as Jesus has borne the offense for you. As you have received grace by Him bearing the offense, now you are choosing to bear the offense of others in your life. This is one of the hardest things. This is why a lot of people, even as they pray, to forgive, they, they, they sort of shortcut or look for magic in their forgiveness. I've led many people through forgiveness, and I really believe the number one access point Satan has to the church is through unforgiveness. <laughs> Some of the prayers they pray are so ineffective. I've heard someone pray like this, Lord, I want to forgive. I'm like, okay, then do it. Because really what they're saying is, I want to want to forgive. They're trying to change the feeling before they act on obedience. You understand, you are choosing in your hurt and because of your hurt 
not in spite of it or not denying it, but because of it, you're choosing to forgive. And you will only get as far in forgiveness as you're willing to hurt for what they've done. Some people will say this, oh God, help me forgive. And I'm, I'm, I, I got to say to you, as, as humble as that sounds, it's actually a stupid prayer. Because God is already helping them. You don't have to ask Him to do what He's already doing. Your faith has to acknowledge that He is helping you. If you are even deciding to forgive, it, it isn't you alone. It's the Spirit helping you to forgive. But what, what normally people are asking when they say, help me to forgive, is they're saying, take the pain away so that then I don't feel it. But you see, you don't forgive if you don't feel it. And so he doesn't take it away until you are willing to forgive it and let it go. By releasing it, he can take it from you. But many of us, you see, we're holding on to our pain because our pain is what we think makes us special. Look how persecuted I am. Look how many people are against me. I must be important because so many people don't like me. Instead of recognizing it, this pain is filling up space in my life that could be filled with joy, with love, with peace, with hope. But because the space taker is bitterness, there's no room. So it's an act of the will. It's a choice. Do you know what the prayer really is? Lord, you are helping me. I'm at this point to forgive because you're helping me to forgive. Because this is your will for my life. But then you have to decide, is it your will for your life? Because he can't make that choice for you. That's your choice. I choose to forgive. And as you do that, it's amazing how then the feelings will follow. I remember the first time I really understood this and did this and forgave people from my heart. It was like I had had a clogged toilet that was suddenly plunged and clean water was flowing through. I just wanted you to have that image. <laughs> I remember for the first time my heart being light. My heart being filled with praise. My heart filling up with the goodness of God and the glory of God because bitterness takes up a lot of space. But remember what I told you about that guy where I forgave him but I didn't let go of the bitterness Part of it, it, what I began to realize is there's a passivity in me at times. Where, okay, I forgive you, but I, I'm going to avoid you from now on. For some reason, the Apostle Paul says patience and strength means you don't avoid anybody. He says, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all people. And then he says, go even beyond that. And this is when you know your patience has be developed into a supernatural thing, you start to will the good for the people that hurt you. Now, you might ask a question. I actually asked it up here twice. Does this mean I trust them? No, friends, don't be stupid. I mean, if, if somebody has told you untruths for all your relationship, do you think tomorrow they're going to start telling you the truth? No. You don't need to be naive. You don't need to be childish. But at the same time, you can't really face that they're untruthful in a way that's good for them until you've dealt with the bitterness of them being untruthful with you. This is why the scripture says then, you know, if, it's your, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If your enemy's thirsty, give him something to drink. So can I tell you what this... I, we're going to unpack a little bit what this means because the power of patience comes from this. So what did Jesus say to us? Think about this with me. He said, a new commandment I give that you love one another. So that love is the love that you have for people who are like you. There are people that pretty much agree with you, people that you feel some kind of empathy and sympathy with. So these are love one another. But then he looked at his disciples and taught them, love your neighbor. And the neighbor in the scripture is somebody who's not like you. It was a Samaritan. So it was another culture. It was another group of people. They were, in some ways, lower status, lower class, or whatever it might be. And he said, love them. And then do you know what he had the audacity to say? He said, love your enemies. Anybody can love those who love them, but my disciples will love 
their enemies. In other words, Jesus said, love anything that has breath. Wow. He's not giving you something you can do on your own. But at the same time, do you see how honest he's being? Of course, love those who are like you. But he's saying there are people who are different from you. You don't have to play like they're the same. He's saying there is diversity. He's saying there is a difference. He's saying there are cultures. He's saying there are different languages and there are these different things. And he said, but love them. Love them. And then he said, there are people who hate you. There are people who are not your friends. They're your enemies. And he says, love them. So don't be dishonest and say an enemy is a friend. They're not. Don't be dishonest and say your culture is exactly my, like mine, but it's not. Do you know every family is a culture? So every marriage is a cross-cultural experience? And yet you're called to love in the differences. Called to love even when those don't love you back. There's only one way to do that, and that is if you have learned to receive unconditional love from the Father so that you can give unconditional love that you've received to everybody else you encounter. Which means it's no longer about you. It's about you having received an unconditional love and now you're able and have capacity to give that unconditional love. So what does this mean? Well, I love this. He says, when you feed those who are hungry, even though they're your enemies, and when you give them something to drink, you're actually heaping burning coals on their head. What is this heaping burning coals? Well, the only place I know of heaping burning coals, really, is when enemies are attacking the castle and the fortress, and you pour burning coals so they can't get up the wall. So do you know what he's saying? He's saying you're still to oppose them. You don't sit there going what is evil is good or what is sinful is righteous. No. Or what is unjust is just. Of course you don't say that. But rather you just don't respond to unjust to the injustice with more injustice, and you don't respond to unrighteousness with more unrighteousness. Rather, you learn to oppose it with humility. In other words, you are called to stop it. You're not called to be passive and say, well, this is just the way that things are. He's saying you're to, to counter the evil with such good that the cold air becomes warm air. Are you tracking with me on this? But you see, you can't do that if you haven't dealt with your bitterness. You can't do that if you haven't forgiven them. Listen, I, I've had people, and you've probably said this, I've probably, I, you come up to you and go, I just need to give you a piece of my mind. Well, they're opposing me. I often wonder if they have any pieces left, but uh, they're opposing me. But they're opposing me about their hurt. They're not opposing me for their good, for my good, they're just trying to get me hurt because they're hurt. Or you hear people say, I just have to get this off my chest. That's more evil coming against evil. It's not, it's not good facing the evil. And so what you, what you see Paul saying here is you have so blessed them, you have so forgiven them, you so want good for them, that when you say, don't do that anymore, it's not about you, it's about them. It's about not letting them, because you love them, not letting them go on in the sin that they're manifesting. Do you understand that God has put people in your life for a purpose? This is the curriculum of the Holy Spirit. And for some reason, the annoying ones are especially seem like on the syllabus. But a lot of us, you see, we can handle private, um, we can handle people in public. For a lot of us, the people who are most tweaking us are family. <laughs> amen. Don't say amen. <laughs> uh, we know where that's at, right? So here's, here, I was such an un- like unhealthy husband to my wife. And you know, I, this year makes 40 years of marriage, and she, yeah, it's awesome. She still can do things that are utterly unpredictable to me. 
And she can do things that surprise me and shock me even to this day. I have studied her for 40 years. But in the early days, in the early days of our marriage, she was so unlike me and thinking so differently from me. What would happen is I would, I would lose all patience with her and I would lose, and nobody could make me yell or make me upset like, like Lisa was. And so what I would do is I would, in my head, here's what I would say, because no matter how much I argued with her, she was unchanged and unfazed by my brilliance. <laughs> Which I thought, anyway. So what I would do is I'd start writing down a prayer list of how she needed to change. And I would fast and pray for her to change. And, and you know what happened? She never changed. And guess what happened? I never changed. And so when I understood these verses and I started to understand biblical strength, I began to realize I didn't need her to change. She was there by the Holy Spirit. She wasn't producing my impatience. She was revealing my impatience. And as long as I was asking God to change her, I wasn't changing. And now I know that Lisa has been the greatest gift from God because she will not let me get away with any fleshly stuff or any kind of carnal stuff. She wants me to be a man of God. She wants me to be a man of the Spirit. And so she calls me on my stuff. And what it's done is it allowed me to change and to yield the control of the most important relationship of my life to the Holy Spirit, which produced patience in me. Are you understanding what I'm saying? Let me give you one last story because, again, I, I, I had to learn these. I had to develop this kind of strength. And every now and then there are people in the church who get really angry with me and one day one day a lady was so mad i could see steam coming out her ears and she was coming up to the front she's pushing everybody out of the way and she started yelling at me you're a heretic you don't love god you're not a believer you don't believe the bible you don't preach the bible all these things just yelling and screaming at me and as she was doing you could see i mean her argument was just stupid Okay, friends, and, and that old me was like, I'm going to take her apart scripturally. I'm going to take her apart spiritually. I'm going to do all this. And, and, and then I go, wait a minute. That's old me. That's old me. I said, Lord, what, how do I respond to this? And you know, these scriptures came to mind. If she's hungry, give her something to eat. If she's thirsty, give her something to drink. Make it about her, not about you. And so I heard the Lord say this really clearly, just as clear as day. He said, ask her to pray for you. I was like, what? How many of her demons am I going to get from this, you know? And he said, no, ask her to pray for you. And as minute he said that, he gave me all the words to say. And I looked at her and I said, I want you to know I love the Lord. I love his word. I want to be a faithful man preaching God's word. Will you pray for me? And I got down on my knees and she laid her hand on my head and began to pray with tears. Oh God, this is such a great pastor. He's such a godly man. He preaches your word. All this stuff. I'm like, who's this praying for me? You know what the scripture says? A soft answer turns away wrath. And so what what I did was I opposed her, but I opposed her in a way that I could be her pastor. And then I, what I found out was really, she was a very unhealthy person who wanted my attention, but she didn't know how to ask for it. When she needed something, she attacked the people she thought had what she needed. And by being able to understand what the Spirit was asking me to do in that situation, I was able to pray for her and minister to her and turn the situation all the way around. I'm explaining this to you because it works. It is true strength. Will you hear this last admonition? Patience with people is patience with God. Will you stand with me? Is this only for me today? Would you do this? Would you close your eyes with me? 
Sometimes forgiveness takes someone helping you to forgive. Often it's not an easy thing, particularly when there's abuse involved or, or when there's pain that's from childhood. But I can tell you this. Carrying bitterness poisons you. Carrying bitterness takes up a lot of space. So with your eyes closed, I'd like you to, I'd like you to turn your hand over, palm to the floor. And as much as you can, you can leave all your bitterness here today. You can bless those who have cursed you. You can bless those who have wounded you. You can bless those who just didn't like you. And you don't even know why. You can bless. And you can forgive. I know that, look, you, forgiveness is not something you do just in a moment. But freedom is something you gain in a moment. And then with freedom, it becomes easier to let things go. This building can handle bitterness. Your heart cannot. So we just, whatever you need to bless, whatever you need to forgive, whatever you need, to even say, Lord, I kicked you off the throne in this relationship. I'm putting you back on the throne. See, anywhere that you're not extending grace, you're saying you're the judge. And you're not a good judge. I'm not a good judge. Sometimes I look back and I go, God, why did I carry that bitterness for years when I could have been free? I'm asking you to leave it behind today. I'm asking you to get free, to get healthy, to get strong. And then I'm and I know it's not a quick thing. I'm not trying to make it a quick thing, but I know the Holy Spirit's here. I can feel Him so preciously right now. I feel the anointing for freedom. Freedom usually is freedom from bitterness. Because see, anywhere you're bitter, fear has access. And anywhere fear has access, you're going to try to control. And anywhere you're trying to control that is not yours to control is hurting you. So, if you will, just turn your palm up to receive. It's not about you trying to be patient. If you're trying to be patient, that's kind of nice, but it's not going to work. You are in union with the patient Jesus. Think how patient he has been with you. He knows your hurt and, and he knows your sin and he knows your secrets and he loves you knowing everything about you. So with your hands open, would you say this, Lord, I receive your patience. By faith, I activate the patience of Jesus in my heart. Lord, we seal what you're doing in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Happy New Year.